Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 131 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to head over to Epcot at Walt Disney World and talk about the Seas with Nemo and Friends, which was formerly called the Living Seas. This pavilion has been a part of Future World since 1986, a few years after Epcot opened its doors, and we'll chat a bit today about the history of this pavilion, including some original concepts that were developed for the Living Seas Pavilion and why it was ultimately delayed from a 1982 opening to 1986, chat about the history of this pavilion, how it came to ultimately be the Living Seas, and how over time it evolved to eventually become The Seas with Nemo and Friends. This episode also includes some binaural audio experiences, including a listen back to the original Living Seas Pavilion for those who might remember this attraction or perhaps didn't get the chance to experience it, as well as a binaural audio recording up-to-date of The Seas with Nemo and Friends. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to give a special thanks to our sponsor, WDW Magazine, the premier magazine focused on Walt Disney World. You can learn more and subscribe to their print and digital editions by clicking on the links in the show notes or finding a link over at ImagineerPodcast.com. At the end of the show, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer Podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, Grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. In the early days of Epcot, Future World was split into three distinct areas, Future World East, Future World West, and Future World Central. According to the Imagineering Field Guide to Epcot, written by the Imagineers in 2006, Future World East placed its focus on natural sciences and industrial technology, including such pavilions as the Universe of Energy, now the home of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, Wonders of Life, soon to become the Epcot Play Pavilion, Horizons, which is now home to Mission Space, and World of Motion, now the home of Test Track. Future World Central, the core of this area, focused on communication and modern inventions, producing such pavilions as Spaceship Earth and the now-defunct Communicore Pavilion, which was later called Innoventions. Meanwhile, Future World West, the home of the Imagination Pavilion, the Land Pavilion, and the Living Seas Pavilion, which is now called the Seas with Nemo and Friends, focused on the natural environment and the realm of creativity. Tying it all together, the original version of Future World was designed like the human brain. Future World East, the industrial side, acted much like the left brain, as it was designed with an analytical, logical, math-oriented focus. Future World West, the natural environment side, acted much like the right brain, as it was designed with a creative, emotional, artistic focus. 
and Future World Central, the core, acted as the unifying area that brought the two sides together, showcasing how communication and technology, with a bit of imagination, could help create the future. The re-theme of Future World, which transformed Future World East into World Discovery, Future World West into World Nature, and Future World Central into World Celebration, follows a similar spirit of design and embodies the current pavilions in the same kind of way. One of the pavilions mentioned, which is now a part of World, world Nature, is the Seas with Nemo and Friends. Formerly known as the Living Seas, this marine-focused attraction feels like it has been a part of Epcot forever. But new Disney fans might be surprised to learn that the pavilion was not an opening day experience. Although it was intended to open with this part of the park on October 1st, 1982, concept changes delayed the pavilion's construction and opening. As a result, construction did not begin until 1983. Three years later, on January 15, 1986, the pavilion opened to the public with a dedication ceremony hosted by Disney CEO Michael Eisner, Disney President Frank Wells, and Harry Gray, the director of the board for the pavilion's sponsor, United Technologies. For the first 20 years of its existence, the pavilion was called the Living Seas. While it inevitably became a scientific, future-focused pavilion, the Imagineers had originally intended for the pavilion to include a bit more history and mythology. In fact, early promotional footage for Epcot dating back to 1978 described how the Living Seas Pavilion would include a thrilling journey where guests would set sail with some of history's greatest explorers, experiencing moments of peril and triumph along the way. The pavilion would also include a dark ride attraction where guests would join Poseidon to the depths of the ocean, exploring the continental shelf and the Great Barrier Reef. The latter attraction would exit at Sea Base Alpha, an underwater, bubble-like facility where guests could view live marine life and dine at an underwater restaurant. To learn more, here's a brief clip from 1978 promotional content for Epcot. This clip and a few additional pieces of audio you'll hear in this episode are provided courtesy of Martin Smith, who has some absolutely incredible videos about Disney history up on YouTube. In fact, I've been watching his videos for over a decade now, so I'll be sure to include a link to his YouTube page and his Living Seas video in the show notes. For now, let's step back in time to hear what was played in this old promotional footage. The Pavilion of the Seas. Guests sail through moments of peril and triumph with the great explorers who charted the seas for civilization. In another adventure, Poseidon the Sea Lord will challenge visitors to journey through the ocean depths. From the continental shelf to the great coral reef. Finally arriving at Sea Base Alpha. An authentic ocean environment with live marine life, an undersea restaurant, and a showcase of oceanographic exhibits and displays. Around the time that Epcot was in its final development, the Imagineers made the decision to modify the Living Seas Pavilion. With Future World design taking shape, the team shifted from a blend of mythology, history, and science fiction to a blend of research and education while still maintaining a bit of science fiction. 
In its new design and new location in Future World, the Living Seas would transport guests to an underwater research facility, keeping the name Seabase Alpha. The journey to this facility would begin inside the pavilion. Guests would walk through a queue that switched back and forth around past and present oceanic equipment. For those who have never experienced the queue, it actually reminded me a bit of Discoveryland at Disneyland Paris, taking a historic look at the future. At the end of the switchbacks, guests would enter a pre-show loading area similar to the one found at the Universe of Energy. In this loading area, guests would watch a brief montage introducing them to the experience, and in the same spirit as the original concept for the attraction, a narrator explained the history of humanity's relationship with the ocean, discussing the achievements of explorers from the past, our quest for greater knowledge, and technology that has emerged as a result of deep sea exploration. At the conclusion of the montage, guests would load into one of two pre-show theaters, each accommodating about 100 people. This seven-minute pre-show, appropriately named The Sea, provided an educational overview of the Earth's oceans, discussing how the seas were formed over billions of years and giving viewers a small taste of how little we truly know about this part of our planet. The film itself was directed by Imagineer Paul Gerber, who played a large role in Epcot's development. In fact, Paul not only directed The Sea, but also Symbiosis, which was the original film shown at the Land Pavilion, which is now in the same theater that shows Awesome Planet, and the original Norway film that played in the Maelstrom post-show in World Showcase. In addition, The Sea's narration was recorded by Hope Alexander Willis, who not only lent her voice to this attraction, but also later played Lady Caroline in the 2001 Disney film, The Princess Diaries. In the final moments of the film, the story shifted from the history of the ocean to a brief introduction to Seabase Alpha, inviting guests to journey to the bottom of the ocean to this deep sea facility. At the end of the pre-show, a new set of doors would open to lead guests to one of three hydrolators, a portmanteau combining the prefix hydro, meaning water, and the word elevator. In other words, a hydrolator, not surprisingly, is just a water elevator. While the technology involved was incredibly simple, the Imagineers created a very realistic illusion that guests were descending hundreds of feet to an underwater facility. Inside each hydrolator were two sets of doors, one where guests would enter and another on the opposite side where guests would exit. On the other walls of the hydrolator were glass windows revealing a rock shaft filled with water. After the doors closed, the lights would dim, the floor would drop about an inch rather suddenly and begin to shake, and the rock walls would move upward along a rotating conveyor belt to give the illusion of descent. The shaking floor gave guests the impression that the hydrolator was pushing against extreme water pressure, which created bubbles along the rock wall. Meanwhile, the rock wall acted a bit like the Haunted Mansion stretching room, providing the illusion that guests were moving downward. At the end of the experience, the floor would rise back about an inch, pressurization sound effects would engage, and the exit doors would open to reveal Seabase Alpha. In reality, guests merely walked into a room and walked out the other side about a minute later. But as a kid, I can tell you that I was 100% convinced that I just descended hundreds of feet to the bottom of the ocean. Even though I had just walked into the pavilion and I knew it didn't make any sense, I was so convinced that that was what took place. The hydrolators were an integral part of the experience. 
Although they're no longer a part of the attraction today, you can find a tribute to this extinct experience over at Space 220, where guests board a Stellavator and experience an updated digital version of this technology as they ascend to a space station 220 miles above Mission Space. You can also find a similar version at Disney's first ever immersive storytelling resort experience, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, which has an arrival and departure experience that makes it seem like guests have been beamed up to and beamed back down from the Halcyon. Upon exiting the hydrolators, guests would find themselves inside Seabase Alpha. At this point, each family would have one of two choices board an Omnimover attraction, or head straight to the Living Seas exhibits. Those who chose the former option boarded a sea cab, which some might remember looked a bit like the Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin XP-37 rockets, without all the Buzz Lightyear theming and, of course, without the blasters. Surprisingly, this Omnimover experience was incredibly short, much shorter than today's attraction experience. In fact, the Omnimover only moved guests about 400 feet, moving along two perpendicular glass tunnels through the aquarium before dropping guests off in the heart of Seabase Alpha. The same exit point found on today's Omnimover experience is the one where guests would also be dropped off on the Sea Cab experience. Other than providing a relaxing view of marine life, the Sea Cabs were less like a ride and more like a short mode of transportation, as the entire experience lasted just about three minutes. Nevertheless, the Omnimover Sea Cab ride helped to add to the attraction's overall guest capacity. Between the pre-shows, hydrolators, and sea cabs, the living seas could accommodate nearly 2,500 guests per hour. When guests exited the sea cabs, or bypassed the experience via sh a short walkway, they would find themselves immersed in the same pavilion you can experience today. Two floors of marine life exhibits where guests could learn more about the ocean and its inhabitants. In terms of story, Seabase Alpha was composed of six separate exhibits, each one referred to as a module. These six modules included ocean systems, earth systems, marine mammals underwater viewing, undersea exploration, ocean resources, and marine mammal surface level viewing. The pavilion also included a central observation deck in the middle of the pavilion's largest tank. Speaking of exhibits, the Living Seas is home to over 3,000 sea creatures representing 200 different species including sharks, rays, dolphins, sea turtles, angelfish, seahorses, manatees, and many more. Up until 2005, the Living Seas also featured the largest saltwater tank in the world, with the main tank extending nearly 50 feet high and 200 feet in diameter, holding 5.7 million gallons of saltwater. After exploring the exhibits, guests wishing to exit the pavilion would head back to the surface through one of three more hydrolators, which were placed in the same location as the exit of today's pavilion experience. Much like the descending hydrolators, guests would step inside and experience the same process in reverse, seeing the rock walls descend and feeling the floor shake to provide the impression that they were resurfacing back to sea level. When the doors opened, guests would find themselves back in Future World, ready to head to the next attraction. Before we head back to relive this extinct version of the Living Seas, I also want to briefly mention the music. The main Living Seas theme was composed by Imagineer George Wilkins, whom I interviewed back in Imagineer Podcast episode 86. 
George not only developed the Living Seas theme, but also the main theme to Horizons, the songs played by Sunny Eclipse at Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe at the Magic Kingdom, and countless additional music loops and songs at Disney parks around the world. Meanwhile, Imagineer Russell Brower, whom I interviewed in Imagineer Podcast Episode 80, was George Wilkins' protege and extended the main Living Seas theme into an hour-long area music loop. Russell went on to develop countless music loops across Disney parks and, in his post-Disney career, went on to win three Emmy Awards. The music this pair created for the Living Seas Pavilion perfectly encapsulated the vibe of the experience, and it's one that I fondly remember. At this point, I'd love to take a step back in time and relive the Living Seas. This audio experience is courtesy of Martin Smith, whom I'd like to thank not just providing us with this audio, but also for his amazing work documenting Disney attractions so fans can go back and relive them again and again. If you haven't already, I strongly recommend you check out his content online, and I'll be sure to include a link to his work in the description of this episode so you can check it out. One thing worth noting is that the entrance rotunda narration is not the original voice, but a sound-alike, as neither of us was able to find a clear and complete recording of the original audio. Needless to say, Martin put together an amazing recreation of what would have what guests would have heard back in 1986. The audio also includes the pre-show, the hydrolators, and the sea cabs. After we finish this ride through, we'll come back together and discuss the transformation of the living seas to the seas with Nemo and friends. So, without further ado, I encourage you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the living seas. is proud to welcome you to the Living Seas. In a few moments, you will be entering the Earth's greatest frontier, the oceans. Before your adventure begins, consider for a moment the accomplishments of those courageous pioneers who have come this way before. It was their insatiable curiosity and engineering skill that parted the waves for today's subsea explorers. Throughout history, we humans have faced many challenges in our quest to understand the living seas, to overcome darkness, pressure, and lack of air. We developed diving bells, aqua lungs, and submarines, tools which gave us a closer look at our underwater world. With new knowledge, we built new tools, robots, and manned submersibles. Each advance in technology brought about the opportunity to explore further and learn more, transforming vision, curiosity, and wonder into practical knowledge. This tool-building process has created a rich bounty of new ideas, from microchips to robotics, from rocket-powered spacesuits to computerized sailing ships. Virtually every aspect of our lives has been enriched by human innovation, and United Technologies is proud to play a leading role in aerospace, electronics, 
and in providing systems for intelligent buildings. Committing the technology we've created today to the exploration of new frontiers tomorrow. So come with us now to discover the sea, a resource so precious that our own existence depends on its health and well-being. A realm shrouded in mystery, yet possessing enormous potential for humanity. And now, from around the world, the men and women of United Technologies invite you to join us as we cross the threshold into the future of the living seas. Try to imagine, just for a moment, that somewhere in the endless reaches of the universe, on the outer edge of a galaxy of a hundred thousand million suns, deep within a cluster of slowly forming planets, a small sphere of just the right size lies just the right distance from its mother star, cooling in the coldness of space. Try to imagine. Now that sphere's creation continues, as countless volcanoes spew clouds of gas and steam into the sky for melted mineral formations. And then that cloud-covered planet waits. And waits. And waits until finally those clouds of gas and steam condense and rain upon that planet. Rain upon that planet Earth. And they rain. And rain. and rain. The deluge. deluge of such magnitude that the world's greatest waterfalls flowing together for more than a million years would only just begin to approach its results. 
for when it finally stopped. The seas had been born. Seas that would make this planet unlike any other within the realm of our knowledge. For it was there, sheltered from cosmic radiation, that the means to support life on Earth was able to emerge. Tiny single-celled plants, phytoplankton, that capture the energy of the sun and convert it into that most basic of life-sustaining elements, oxygen, creating more than half the Earth's supply. But more than that, those same seas interact with that same solar energy and the Earth's rotation to serve as the engine that drives all the world's weather. Yet these phenomena occur in only the first few hundred feet of seas that average greater than two miles in depth. And it is there, in those depths, in an endless night, darker than the darkest night on land, that we are just now beginning to explore an amazing world. There, amid raging underwater storms and fiery underwater volcanoes, mountain ranges that dwarf the Himalayas and gorges four times deeper than the Grand Canyon, there, two miles deep in that darkness, an amazing world. A world where the cold sea pours deep into the mountain's warm core through immense cracks in its surface, and then rises back to the ocean floor as a superheated mineral-laden fluid emitting what to us would be lethal concentrations of poisonous chemicals. Yet, Incredibly, around these strange vents, exotic life forms flourish. Life forms that have astonished biologists by finding the means for their survival, not in photosynthesis and the sun, but in the chemicals of the earth itself. Chemosynthesis, an ecosystem like none other on Earth. Until now, scientifically inconceivable. Yet there, nevertheless, deep beneath the sea, waiting for our discovery. Waiting in a world where we've spent less time than on the surface of the moon. A world we've only just begun to explore with tools we've only just begun to imagine. Tools with which we'll go where no one has gone before. Searching these seas for the knowledge they conceal and the resources they hold. For answers to our past and keys to our future. What kind of future will it be? Try to imagine, just for a moment, a future of amazing technological creativity.
a future of incredible adventure and discovery. A future of remarkable awareness and understanding. Try to imagine. For we welcome you now to take the first steps into that future. We welcome you to the living seas. We welcome you to Seabase Alpha. Seabase Alpha to surface control. All hydrolators pressurized. Prepare for boarding. 10-4 Seabase. Hydrolators now boarding for departure to visitor center at sub-level 5. Control clear. 10-4 control. Seabase Alpha clear. Service control, this is guest vehicle staging area number one. GBSA number one, go ahead please. Passengers from hydrolator number two, ready for departure to sea base Alpha Visitor Center. All conditions read, go for departure, contact base on 027 for arrival sequence. Roger, GBSA.
dolphins. Lobsters do puffer fish. You might even spot a more eel or two lurking beneath the coral. But not to worry, they all get along just fine, even with our diapers. Anyway, we'll see you shortly. Enjoy your visit to see you soon. As you can probably tell from the audio, The Living Seas was truly an Epcot original, something that carefully blended Disney entertainment with future-focused education. Still, as times change, so do guest preferences and business needs. In 1998, United Technologies pulled its sponsorship of The Living Seas. Losing a sponsor can sometimes mark a turning point for an attraction. And in the case of this pavilion, that's exactly what happened. Not long after the sponsorship ended, Disney started to scale back the pavilion experience. In 2001, one of the two pre-show theaters was decommissioned and replaced with a bypass corridor. In that same year, the sea cabs were closed down altogether. From that point on, guests could opt to view the pre-show or head straight from the rotunda to the hydrolators. Once inside Seabase Alpha, guests could explore the exhibits or simply head straight to the exit hydrolators. With these changes, the pavilion lacked a true attraction and felt more like a mini aquarium with a unique arrival and exit experience. Fortunately, there was a movie already in development that would save the living seas and provide an updated experience for families of all ages. On May 30th, 2003, Pixar's imaginative oceanic film, Finding Nemo, debuted in theaters. 
The film generated $70 million its opening weekend and went on to earn over $900 million in gross box office sales. The story about a timid clownfish battling the dangers of the ocean to rescue his captured son won the hearts of fans of all ages around the world. It also added such lovable characters as Nemo, Marlin, Dory, Crush, Squirt, Mr. Ray, Bruce, and many more to Disney's portfolio. The film drew new inspiration for the Imagineers, who got to work right away. As early as December that year, the team started to add Finding Nemo characters and designs to the pavilion's exterior and interior spaces. About a year and a half later, on November 16, 2004, Turtle Talk with Crush opened at the Living Seas as a part of the Imagineers Living Characters program. According to the Imagineering Field Guide, quote, when introduced to the incredible characters from the Walt Disney Pictures presentation of a Pixar animated film, Finding Nemo, the Imagineers saw an opportunity to tap into a brand new group of storytellers who could take our guests to school on the amazing oceanic world that is their home. We looked for ways to integrate these characters into the show in a way that would enhance the improved, important environmental message of the pavilion. Now they welcome us to Seabase Alpha and serve as our guides. Mr. Ray returns to his familiar position as teacher. Bruce, Chum, and Anchor tell us about sharks and turtles, and Dory passes along whatever bits of information she can remember." End quote. Turtle Talk with Crush put the Living Seas back on the map at Epcot, allowing kids and adults to enjoy a fully interactive experience where they would have the chance to meet Crush, ask him questions, and even share some of their own knowledge with the beloved 150-year-old sea turtle. The experience was so popular that the Imagineers had to rethink the guest flow for the attraction, changing locations and carving out a new queue to accommodate guest demand. Turtle Talk with Crush proved to Disney and the Imagineers just how influential Finding Nemo could be to bring guests back to the Living Seas Pavilion. They knew that they had to do more. On October 20th, 2005, the Living Seas temporarily closed to rework the interior. The Imagineers redesigned the queue experience, and they got to work on a new Omnimover ride for the pavilion, one that would extend the length of the original sea cabs, integrate the characters from Finding Nemo, and become the main attraction for the Living Seas. This redesign required the Imagineers to remove the rotunda one of the pre-show rooms, and the hydrolators, allowing room for an extended queue to accommodate guest demand and for a longer attraction experience. And with the hydrolators no longer being a part of the descent experience to Seabase Alpha, the Imagineers, by necessity, had to remove the hydrolators at the exit of the pavilion as well. Just a few months later, in November 2005, the Living Seas reopened with a temporarily modified experience. To allow guests to view the marine life, the now-removed exit hydrolators were replaced with glass doors, becoming the temporary entrance and new exit for the pavilion. Until the main attraction was complete, guests could use this entrance and exit to access the exhibits. The following October in 2006, the main Finding Nemo Omnimover attraction opened its doors and the pavilion was renamed to the Seas with Nemo and Friends. A few months later, in January 2007, Turtle Talk with Crush reopened in its new location, one of the old pre-show theaters marking the end of the pavilion's 15-month refurbishment. 
In the current version of the pavilion, the seas with Nebo and friends, guests wishing to experience the Omnimover attraction first enter the pavilion through the main entrance, passing a group of very vocal seagulls along the way, just like the ones from the film. You might also notice that the original George Wilkins Russell Brower area music has been updated to Thomas Newman's gorgeous score from Finding Nemo. Entering the pavilion, guests weave around the same switchbacks from the original Q experience, but in the updated story, guests are now navigating their way along a boardwalk toward the pier. Entering the next room, guests travel underneath the pier and make their way under the surface of the water, an illusion created through carefully designed lighting, props, and sounds. Moving through a few underwater environments, even passing underneath a boat just like the one Nemo has dared to swim to in the film, guests make their way toward the boarding area, the same one originally created for the sea cab ride, except instead of boarding sea cabs, guests board clammobiles. And as a fan of Horizons, another extinct experience at Epcot, I love how the Imagineers brought back the same kind of feeling by positioning the clammobiles 90 degrees to the right of forward motion, having guests move through each show scene sideways. Another element I love about the seas with Nemo and friends is how much this attraction is designed with young kids in mind while still entertaining adults. The ride experience is gentle, accommodating riders of all ages, and the story is a tamer version of the film. According to the ride story, Nemo has gone missing once again, but instead of Nemo being in any kind of real danger, guests catch quick glimpses of the lovable clownfish simply off exploring. The first show scene takes guests to Nemo's home, a coral reef. We hear Marlin explain that he's trying to find his son, Nemo, and he quickly recruits Dory for help. Meanwhile, we see Mr. Ray and Nemo's classmates looking for him too, although Mr. Ray assures us that Nemo will probably turn up any minute now. From the coral reef, we turn a corner and find ourselves face to face with a group of jellyfish, a fun infinity mirror effect that makes it seem like there are hundreds of jellyfish in front of us. Moments later, we find ourselves in a pitch black environment and quickly come face to face with an anglerfish chasing after Marlin. This effect is achieved using a glow-in-the-dark anglerfish animatronic on the end of a black KUKA robotics arm, which makes it seem like the fish is swiftly swimming its way through the dark water. Emerging from the darkness, we find ourselves in front of a shipwrecked submarine, where Bruce and Chum, the friendly but dangerous vegetarian sharks from the film, are looking for Nemo too. Much like the coral reef scene, much of the sequence utilizes screens hidden within practical stage sets. Rounding a shallow turn, we enter a long tunnel surrounded by a tubular screen that envelops guests' view. Along this stretch of the track, we join Crush, Squirt, and their sea turtle companions for a ride along the EAC. Nemo seems to have joined them, and Crush tells our young clownfish that everyone's looking for him. The sequence includes both a tame EAC flow-through and a more dramatic EAC spiral sequence that makes it seem like guests are rotating and accelerating through the water. As we exit the EAC, we find ourselves in the middle of the pavilion's aquarium, moving past glass exhibits to view hundreds of marine creatures. This grand finale also includes an impressive projection effect that makes it seem as if Nemo and the gang are swimming in the live aquarium among the fish. Meanwhile, the hit song from Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney's Animal Kingdom, In the Big Blue World, which, by the way, was written by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, the same composers from Frozen and Frozen 2, invite guests to go explore the exhibits ahead. From here, 
Guests disembark their clam mobiles and make their way to the middle of the aquarium, where they're able to explore and enjoy the same exhibits as the ones that once existed with the living seas, many with a Finding Nemo twist to encourage young explorers to learn more about the ocean and its many inhabitants. It's also worth noting that the pavilion has another experience worth enjoying, one that has existed since opening day in 1986, the Coral Reef Restaurant. This table service seafood restaurant provides guests with the opportunity to dine with the view, as a large aquarium wall makes up one side of the restaurant. This dining experience has been a part of Epcot for nearly 40 years, and it's certainly one worth visiting at least once. As always, dining reservations are recommended, and you can find the entrance to the Coral Reef just behind the right side of the main attraction entrance. While the Seas with Nemo and Friends isn't quite the same experience as the original Living Seas, I sincerely look forward to visiting this pavilion every time I visit Epcot. The main attraction is one of my favorites at the park, and one I personally cannot wait to experience with Maggie on her first trip. Joanna and I also love visiting the exhibits, and we often spend about an hour inside this pavilion. In fact, if the attraction has a long wait, you can completely bypass the ride and enter through the exit doors to the aquarium. It's a pavilion we love to explore, and one that's especially perfect if you need to cool down on a hot day or spend time indoors during a rainstorm. Needless to say, I sincerely hope the pavilion is one that will be enjoyed for generations to come. At this point, I'd love to take you with me for a ride on the seas with Nemo and friends thanks to some binaural audio I recorded in 2019. We'll wander through the queue, board our clammobile, and do our best to help Marlin and his friends find Nemo. As with all binaural audio recordings, I strongly recommend wearing headphones or earbuds to get the best audio experience, but of course, listening in your car or on speakers is still a great way to enjoy this part of the podcast. Either way you choose, let's journey together to the big blue world.
And with that, we close out episode 131 of the Imagineer podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this look back at the history of the seas with Nemo and friends, including the previous attraction experience known as the Living Seas. It's an experience I fondly remember as a kid. The Living Seas happens to be my dad's favorite extinct attraction and one that he fondly remembers. And I, of course, today really enjoy heading over to the seas with Nemo and friends. And as I mentioned in this episode, I am very excited to experience the seas with Nemo and friends with Maggie on her first trip because so far she loves all things that are related to the ocean. She loves watching Finding Nemo and Finding Dory and The Little Mermaid and any other film that has to do with the water and sea life. So I am really excited to share that experience with her on her first visit. I, of course, want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what your favorite memory is from either The Living Seas or The Seas with Nemo and Friends. You can go so far as to share an experience from both if you had the opportunity to experience both attractions. As always, you can send me your answers and feedback in many different ways. The best way is just to reach out on social media and share your answer in a post, either on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok or LinkedIn, just tagging Imagineer Podcast, or on Twitter at Imagineer News, or even better, join our Facebook group, which is the Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, and talk about the subject not just with me, but with other members of this listener community as well. It's also just a great place to come together and ask questions and share ideas and geek out about all things Disney. And you can find the link to that location and all other social media channels in the description of this episode or over at imagineerpodcast.com. And as always, if you have any feedback, even if you want to send me your answers directly in an email, you can reach out to me in a direct message or at matt, M-A-T-T, at imagineerpodcast.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartMedia, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcast app, that'll ensure that you're the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have a few moments to leave us a rating and a review, especially in Apple Podcasts, that's such an important place uh, to help rate and review the show. Please go ahead and do so. I want to thank the about 630 of you who have left a five-star rating in Apple Podcast. It really helps to uh, help make the show more discoverable for anyone who searches for a Disney-related podcast and lets those know who do discover the podcast what they can expect when they hit that play button. If you happen to listen on Spotify, they also recently enabled ratings over there. Not yet reviews, but ratings. So that takes about two seconds if you're listening on Spotify to go ahead ahead and leave a rating over in that app. And I do, as always, sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to take your love of Imagine Your Podcast to the next level, also take a look at our Patreon group, which you can find over at imagineerpodcast.com slash community, or you can head straight to Patreon at patreon.com slash imagineerpodcast. I've got links to those places in the show notes below. Long story short is that Patreon is a way that you can help to support the show financially. It basically keeps the lights on for Imagine Your Podcast. And in return, you get access to a ton of perks and benefits, private Facebook community. We do weekly Disney Plus watch parties. You can access bonus podcast episodes, daily posts that go up in our Patreon group just for members. We do monthly virtual calls where we just hang out together and chat about Disney. There's a lot of benefits. They are subject to change, so the best way to discover what's currently available 
is again, just to head over to patreon.com slash podcast or head to our website, imagineerpodcast.com, and I have more information for you to learn about this group over there as well. Best thing you can do for the show, though, is very simple, and that's just to share it out. Whether you share out this episode or any other episode of the show, podcast as a whole, your favorite social media post, or just chat about with friends and family who love all things Disney, I do sincerely appreciate those of you who, as always, take the time to share out the show and to reach out to me to let me know what you think about the show as well. And if you are ready to book a trip to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, any of those Disney destinations, definitely look into our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations. They can help you to, at no additional cost to you, plan out your next trip to any of these locations. They can help you decide on which resorts to select, work within your budget, help you decide the best time of year. They book everything for you, and it is a complimentary service, which is the best part about all this. You can learn more about them at magicalparkvacations.com. And our partners, WW Park Planners. If you're looking for a little bit of an extra personal touch, you can work with these concierge planners to plan out the details, literally like a step-by-step itinerary, day-by-day. If it's been a long time since you've been to Disney or if you just want some extra support, they can help to come up with a customized personal itinerary for your family and alleviate a lot of the stress and the planning, which is such a great benefit. You can learn more about them at www.parkplanners.com and their in-person tour service, which is also worth looking into at magicalparktours.com. And you can find links to all of that at imagineerpodcast.com and in the descriptions of this episode. Last but not least, as always, I want to encourage you, as always, to go after your hopes and dreams, whatever they might be. Life's too short to put your dreams on hold. And I really, as someone who's been doing this now for five years, can tell you that the journey itself is worth the effort. So whatever it is you're dreaming of doing, go for it. Make that dream come true. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
Love, you'll see Centauri Space Station coming into view. Once we dock, gather your 